0: What are you looking at? You're wearing one of these too. Whether you know it or not, you do. We all wear one of these. Jesus spoke of two yokes in the Bible. You're either yoked to him or you're yoked to sin. And the reality, as we finish out this series, Defeating the Enemy, I want you to understand again exactly why Jesus came, because what he taught was simply this, Satan has legal dominion, we're all born in sin, we're all born in some way yoked to Satan. In Jesus' day, a yoke was something you, you yoked oxen together with as a beast of burden, and those oxen would be yoked together. One would be here. One would have their head through here. And they weren't free to go wherever they wanted, not ever again, as long as they were yoked together. And that's the imagery of Scripture, that when you're in sin, you're a slave to sin. In fact, Jesus said in John eight thirty four, he that commits sin is a slave to sin. And therein is our spiritual condition. First John five nineteen: the entire world lies under the power of the wicked one. But you see, the reality is there's another yoke in Scripture that Jesus spoke of. This yoke belongs to him, and we need to know that there's a difference between the yoke of Satan and the yoke of sin and the one that Jesus came to do when he broke Satan's dominion. You see, in Adam, we're all born enslaved. We're all born yoked to Satan because he had legal dominion, and the moment that Adam sinned, God said, you shall surely die. And because we were all in Adam, we all died with him, that means we're all born already under sin's penalty and Satan's tyranny, but Jesus comes along at the cross of Calvary to undo the curse of Adam's sin, to give us indeed redemption. It's what Jesus called in John 3, being born again as God's children, and now Jesus has complete dominion and sets us free from that prison. John eight thirty four. he said these words, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Jesus said in John 10, I've come to give you life abundantly. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, he caused us to live triumphantly. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. You see, Jesus came to give us life a victory, life triumphantly. We don't have to settle for the yoke of sin and partial victory. He said, I've come to set the captives free. The Spirit of the Lord God has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And then he makes this gracious invitation. In Matthew chapter 11, when he said these words, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest to your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light see, as long as you're yoked to Satan, you're going to live in the chains of sin. And we drag those chains around with us for most of our life, one link at a time. Every time we sin, that chain becomes a little stronger and it becomes a little longer. But when you come to Christ, you take upon him another yoke and you yoked yourself to Christ. And all of a sudden you have the power to live victoriously where before you had no option, but to live in some capacity in captivity. Now, as we close out this series today, I'm going to remind you of a few things, and I want you to learn how to live free daily. You see, you have two realities. You have the positional reality that you have now in Christ, and then you have your practical reality daily. And we want our practical reality become one and the same with our positional reality. Remember Jesus said, the truth shall set you free, but sometimes we don't live like we're free, we live like we're still yoked to Satan in captivity. And so, I wanna talk about one verse today. Now don't worry, it's gonna be the same length sermon, okay? I know you're worried like, one verse? This is gonna be over too soon. No, don't worry, Same, same length sermon, just one verse, okay? Revelation 12:11, for all the books I've signed, and I'm happy to sign any book for you, if I haven't got to do that yet, but almost every book I've signed from this book we've called Defeating the Enemy," I've, I've, I've put this little verse next to it, because in my mind, this one verse kind of embodies everything now that we've learned. It's Revelation 12 and verse 11. Now look at what it says, Revelation 12:11. And they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, let's read that one more time because there's so much power packed in this one verse. If you can appropriate this one verse into your life, you're gonna live freely, consistently, daily, not just positionally, spiritually, but I'm talking practically, really. Now, it says, and they overcame him, Satan. What's going on in Revelation 12:11. Well, the context is actually the tribulation. We're studying at 4.30 over in the core on Sunday afternoons, the book of Revelation, verse by verse, line by line. And we're currently studying in the book of Revelation... This coming seven-year tribulation that is prophesied to come upon the whole earth. Jesus called it great tribulation. And so what happens in the tribulation is there's this antichrist figure, this political figure, that will begin to persecute those who follow the true and living Christ, and this man will be empowered by Satan. For a little season, he will indeed have his own kingdom. Remember what Satan has always wanted from the moment he rebelled against God. We learned it seven weeks ago. He said, I will be like God. He wants to be worshiped as God. And for a short season, he will indeed have that kingdom and he will be worshiped as God. He will counterfeit even the miracles of God. And what you have going on in Revelation 12, 11 is these tribulation saints, those who will not follow the antichrist, they follow the true and living Christ. He will initially overcome them, but what this verse says is eventually they overcome him. Now listen, we're not in the tribulation. Everybody go, phew. Yeah, all right. If you come to the Revelation study, I've given you reason after reason biblically. I'm convinced the church doesn't go through the tribulation. But here's the point. We all go through tribulation even if we don't go through the tribulation, See, every day you have Satan who wants to bring temptation, who wants to bring affliction, who wants to bring trial and tribulation and you overcome him today the way those future saints of God will overcome him then. It's overcoming him through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of your testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Let's talk about that because these are the three keys to your victory. Number one, by the blood of the Lamb. That has to do with your divine declaration divine declaration. In other words, by God's proclamation, uh, you begin overcoming G- uh, Satan and sin's prison because of your exoneration through the blood of the Lamb. You, you appropriate this place and standing before God, not because of anything you did, but because of what God did for you when he sent the Son of God to die in your place. And so the blood of the Lamb is what Jesus did when he died for your sin, he died for your shame, he died for your stain, and so that God now looks at you, he no longer sees your sin, instead he sees the righteousness of his son. Second Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus traded places with us all, and God took all of our sin, placed it on him, and then he took the righteousness of his son and placed it on us. So what happens now. From the great tribunal room of heaven, God exonerates us of sin, and with divine declaration, he declares you innocent of sin, so that now Satan, whose name means accuser, he can now bring no legal accusation. He can bring no legal prosecution. And it all begins with that divine declaration, I find you innocent of sin. You see, you appropriate your victory over the enemy, not by anything you did, but rather what Jesus did at Calvary. Now listen, we are delivered from sin's penalty and Satan's tyranny through the blood of Calvary. That is the beginning of our victory. It's through the blood of the lamb. In the very same way I mentioned the Passover today, as we took the Lord's Supper, all of that traces roots back to the Jewish Passover. What happened? On the night before those ancient Hebrews were delivered from Egyptian slavery, God was bringing a 10th plague upon the land. There was a power encounter. They had no chance of ever being liberated. They had no chance of ever being anything but slaves until God intervened for them and God delivered them. And as they are about to be delivered, delivered from their bondage and they were about to be delivered from their slavery. God's bringing a 10th plague upon Pharaoh and it was a death angel that was going to come all over the land because the wages of sin is death. But God said, I want you to take the blood of the lamb and I want you to put that blood on the doorpost of your home. Now, Not just anywhere, but I want you to put that blood here, here, and here because it's a picture of guess what and guess where. That's right. It was a picture prophetically of the cross of Calvary. And this is why 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul would say that Christ is our Passover. He is indeed our Passover lamb because when that blood of the lamb, we put it on the heart, which is God's home, and when God sees the blood on our hearts and we've appropriated the blood of that lamb into our life, he declares us innocent of sin. The wage of sin is death, but because he no longer sees our sin, now he declares us life. We have abundant life. In eternal life, in the resurrected life of the Lord Jesus Christ, That all began when you took the blood of the lamb and put your faith, you see, in him. Now listen, in Christ, that means you have a dominion and authority over all the power of the enemy. What does this mean? Positionally in Christ, because you're no longer now in Adam, you were born in Adam. In Adam's sin, Adam the father of us all, because you were in him when he sinned, you see, ultimately, he passed that death penalty onto all of humanity. But now you're no longer in Adam, now you're in Christ, And God sees something now completely differently. By divine declaration, you understand that you have power and authority over the enemy already. Ephesians 2 says we are seated together in heavenly places already. Do you understand that you are holy and blameless in the eyes of God already? That you are sinless and blameless and spotless before him because of the blood of the Lamb. And what this means is all of a sudden, he has broken the yoke of sin. He has broken the yoke of Satan. You're no longer in bondage to him. Now you can live freely because of what Jesus did at Calvary. And what this means is you have kingdom authority. In other words, it's not Satan no longer who has dominion over you. You have dominion now over Satan. You've traded places with him. You were born under him. And now you've been born again. Now you can preside over him. Now a lot of Christians don't know this. And we have this victim mentality like I'm being attacked by Satan and I don't know what to do. No, you are being attacked by Satan but now you should know what to do. I'm telling you what to do. You didn't know you had authority over him. He wanted you to think he had authority over you. Look at what it says here. In Luke chapter 10, the 70 return with joy. Now who are the 70? Jesus has sent out 70 disciples to minister the gospel abroad, all right? To minister hope and to minister the gospel, the good news that the Messiah has come, the anointed one is here. Get ready for the kingdom to come. And they've come back and they're overjoyed by what they've encountered. Look at what it says. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You bet he did, we talked about that week one. The insurrection of Lucifer, how he rebelled and went to the third heaven to take away the throne of God. But of course, God put down his little insurrection and he saw Satan fall like lightning. Now look at what it says. Behold, he says, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. These disciples can't fathom it. Even the demons are subject to your name. Like, we have this kingdom authority. Understand, this is delegated authority. In the same way, many years ago, when I was a cop, and of course I framed the book around a lot of those stories, understand, a cop has no authority except what is delegated to him. Like, I'm not a cop anymore, and that means if I try to pull you over, you don't have to stop. Stop. I'm just a normal guy like you. I have no authority to make you stop. But there was a time I had delegated authority, civil authority, delegated. That means if I'm driving a police car and I've got lights on it and I go, woo, 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 you gotta pull over. I know, I hate it too. Now, a lot of people don't, trust me. They just keep right on going, but they're supposed to. You get what I'm saying, right? Right? Why can an officer take an intersection over? I mean, even if the light is green, if he steps out in the intersection and says, stop, guess what? He can do that. He has delegated authority to take over the intersection. This is what God is now teaching us. We have no authority in our own name. We're nobodies. Compared to Satan, he doesn't have to do anything we say. But we carry the name that is above every name that is named as followers of Jesus, as Christians. Ephesians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that is named, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority and power has been given to me in heaven and upon earth. And as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He has delegated that authority now to you. What does that mean? It means you can exercise that authority and even the demons will bow in Jesus name now listen I'm telling you we read this stuff in scripture in the mindset of modern men even modern Christians is this to take the supernatural out of the Bible see in Western civilization we're trained to think about rational reasons to explain the supernatural see we immediately go well that happened back then but that doesn't happen today I mean demon possession that's just Hollywood I mean, I've seen this movie, you know, The Exorcist, and was like, you know, like, people who are possessed, I mean, they got their, their heads are rolling around doing 360s on their body, and they're puking this neon green vomit, and so see, no, but that doesn't happen today. I want you to understand something. There are probably more demonized people walking around than any of us can fathom or imagine. Now if you go to a third world country somewhere, let's say in a tribal area, uh, you're going to see demonic manifestations, I mean physically. You know why? Because in those parts of the world, Satan comes as a roaring lion to control through fear, intimidation, but not so much here. You know why? Because this is a place of sophistication, so I've taught you already. His number one uh, strategy is not to come as a roaring lion, it's to come as an angel of light. He doesn't want to be seen. I mean, there are demon-possessed people walking around, I'm telling you, and they don't have their head doing 360 on their shoulders. They're not puking neon green vomit. They're, They're demonically possessed still the same. And I'm telling you this, after 18, I'm in my 19th year of ministry. I'm telling you this on the authority of the Word of God and my personal experience. I haven't gone looking for it. I haven't set out to find it. It's like I'm... In a normal counseling situation, as a pastor, and uh, when it has manifested itself, I'm just praying over somebody, and all of a sudden, a demon is talking to me. I'm telling you, it happens. You can say what you want, think what you want, feel you're crazy. Uh, No, I promise you, I'm perfectly sane. Now listen, every experience you have should not be your final filter of truth because Satan can deceive you like he did Eve if you go on what you see and not rather what God has said. But if what you see matches what God has said, there's your filter of truth. And I'm trying to tell you, by personal experience, demons are subject in his name. Like, I'm telling you. I didn't set out ever to exercise demons. I find myself and I'm exercising a demon. Gee, this is really happening. I'm just telling you that because I want you to understand this is real. This is not made up stuff or something Satan did a long, long time ago in a far, far away a place. This is here. This is now. And I'm telling you this because we ought to be the end of the spear as the body of Christ. We are the weapons in the hand of God. We live with this victim mentality, this compound mentality. Well, you know, it seems like Satan is winning and righteousness is retreating. And yeah, you know, I'm just going to hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back. No, we are the end of the spear. The light doesn't run from the darkness. The light runs to the darkness. The light pierces the darkness. You and I as the children of the light, the redeemed of God, we are here for one reason. And to shine the light of God into the darkness of this world. And it's time to start exercising the kingdom authority as the children of God because we are no longer slaves of sin. Satan has no dominion. He has redeemed us from that tyranny and sent penalties so that we can live in victory and proclaim liberty Amen. to those who are still in prison. Now, why then do so many of us live like we're still in prison? Listen, Satan knows that you're a threat to his kingdom. Do you understand? He knows you are armed and dangerous. I mean, you are armed and dangerous. That's the name of my next book, by the way. (laughs) Because we are armed and dangerous. We haven't even talked about Ephesians 6 yet, our weaponry. We've just talked about the enemy strategy. And just like back in my cop days, listen, I had delegated authority. They gave me a badge, and I also had a belt With a gun Yeah Do you understand that as a child of God You've been given a badge and you've been given a gun You have authority And you have weaponry and you see, ultimately, that means we are a threat to the enemy. Now, here's the deal. He doesn't want you to know how strong you are in him. He does not want you to know how strong you are in Jesus. He wants you to think that you still are in a place of captivity, so you will drag around this yoke all of your life. When Jesus has set you free, you go back to it again and again and again, and, again, and I repeat the same old thing again and again, even though Jesus has set me free from this yoke of bondage, this addiction, this depression, this place of dysfunction. I keep doing the repeat over and over again. So I drag around those chains and it gets longer and it gets stronger. And the reality is there is an old master who wants to distort the truth so you don't know the truth because he knows if you ever know the truth, the truth is gonna set you free. I'm gonna use an illustration. I've tried not to use the same stories, same illustrations that I use in the book because like, I didn't want this series to be just like, okay, Phil's just like reading his book to us, okay? So I've tried to use other illustrations, other stories. I'm just going to tell I'm going to use an illustration that I used in the book. And the reason why, honestly, is you you cannot improve on perfection. (laughs) It's just like the perfect illustration, okay? I'm just telling you, I can't think of a better one. And the best way I can explain this, spiritually, we are born in slavery already. And in some capacity... There's an illustration from American history that I think is very, very appropriate. We all know the depravity. I mean, the horrible, horrible depravity. The darkest chapter in American history is slavery. Now listen, that was bad enough, but what is worse yet, if you study out that time of life and what happened, you know that in January 1865, Congress signed into law the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution legally banning slavery from America. It was ratified December the 6th, 1865, and on December the 6th, 1865, legally, there were no slaves anywhere in the U.S. of A. Legally, they had all been set free. How many slaves were there? on December the 7th, the very next day, 1865. Zero. Legally, any of them could have walked away, but the horrible chapter of American history is that many of those slaves that were set free, they chose to stay. And the reason why is their old masters were livid that they had legally been set free. They distorted the truth. They hid the truth. I mean, these were the days before. Internet capacity, instant messaging, and 24-7 CNN and Fox News. I mean, word traveled slowly. And so their masters purposely hid the truth from them, distorted the truth from them because they knew if they ever knew the truth, they could legally walk away and there's nothing they could do to keep them to stay. Do you understand that's exactly how your old master has responded to you? He has convinced you that you have no choice but to pick up that yoke again and again and again and drag it around as if you had to stay when you have the power already to walk away. He distorts the truth. He hides the truth. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I'm trying to give you the knowledge of the word of God because that knowledge is the power of God. You don't have to obey Satan. He's got to obey you. The demons are subject in the name of Jesus. Now listen, this is yours already by divine declaration. In the very same way, those ancient Hebrews were given a promised Land. It was theirs already by divine declaration, but they still had to take possession. In the very same way, he delivers them from Egyptian tyranny. You and I have been delivered from sin and Satan's tyranny, no longer under Satan's authority. And now he leads us, like those ancient Hebrews, on a journey to a land that flows with milk and honey. Now, what is that promised land spiritually? It's what Jesus called John 10 and verse 10 life abundantly. No, it's not a health and wealth prosperity theology. It is not a promise from God that you're gonna be rich, then healthy, and wealthy. No, truthfully, you might get cancer. These bodies are still under the curse of Adam's sin. That's why one day these bodies are going to die, but that is not the end, it's just the beginning. It's not a promise you won't lose your job. It is not a promise that you're going to have a six-figure income. It's not what the abundant life is that Jesus was talking about. You know how I know. I'm going to put it this way. I was in South Sudan a year ago. I met some godly, Jesus-loving people in South Sudan, and they live in abject poverty. Do you understand that there is no promise in the Word of God that applies to you and I in America in this prosperity bubble that does not apply to them, too? So well, this is not a health and wealth prosperity theology. When Jesus is speaking of life abundantly, what he was speaking of is a life lived victoriously, consistently, spiritually, ultimately. I'm not going to live in sin. I'm not under the power of Satan. I don't have to settle for this dysfunction, this addiction, this prison. And that may or may not mean you're going to be healthy and wealthy, <laughs> it means you're an overcomer even when Christ suffered he overcame john 16:33 it's not a promise you will never suffer but it's a promise that when you suffer you can be an overcomer that's the abundant life that we're talking about now listen it was the hebrews already by divine proclamation it's called the promised land a real piece of real estate it is still there today and you don't have a real piece of real estate in the middle east Don't try to steal the promises God made the Hebrews. That's what a lot of people do today in modern theology. It's called replacement theology. It says the church has replaced Israel. No, the church has not replaced Israel. Israel is Israel and the church is the church. But you do have real estate. As a child of God, you have a birthright. Romans 8, 17, as children of God, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, it's not yours yet, practically, but it's yours already, positionally and spiritually. How do you begin taking possession? You do it this way, through your mouth confession. You see, that's the second part of that verse. The word of their testimony. They have that victory already by divine declaration, but they start taking now possession through their mouth confession. It's Romans 9, and 10. The very same way you appropriate God's grace and God's promise of forgiveness of sin, you appropriate God's grace for every other promise of God that he ever made. It's Romans 9, and 10 that with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of your testimony, it will become your destiny experientially. And when you make your mouth move to confession, God puts his promises then in motion, And that's how you make conquests of the promised land. Now, the story goes, and 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the Exodus is actually more than history. The Apostle Paul said it was for our learning because the Hebrew story is a picture of our story spiritually. They come to the bank of the Jordan. The Jordan River was the dividing line between the wilderness and this promised land that God had promised them, this land that flowed with milk and honey. In Numbers chapter 13, they're about to cross the Jordan. They come to this place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea means wilderness sanctuary... You see, your mediocrity, your partial victory, Satan will settle for that. He does not want you to cross into the complete abundance of that promised land spiritually as long as you just go halfway. And that's where the Hebrew is now, halfway. He'll create this wilderness sanctuary in your life of mediocrity. He'll let you compromise with sin just enough to make that contract again with him and, dry, and drag around that yoke of Satan. Now, you know what happens in Numbers 13. Moses sends 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. They're about to go in to make conquest of the land. You know the story. They all come back. 10 give one report, 2 give another report. You've got 10 of those spies that come back, and I want you to see this. The word of their testimony becomes their destiny. They came back, and you can read it in Numbers chapter 13. They come back, and they say, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, guys. We can't go over there. We've been over there. Let me tell you something. There's giants in the land. Them boys are big, some big old boys. I mean, they're big dudes. They're like, woo, and they got these iron chariots, and they're going to pour milk over our kids and eat it for breakfast, and we're all going to (laughs) die. Well, that's kind of a paraphrase, all right? It's kind of my narrative, but you can read that. It's what they say. And what happens, the word of their testimony did indeed become their destiny. They all died in the wilderness, delivered from Pharaoh's tyranny, but they never stepped one foot or lived one day in that land that flowed with milk and honey. The word of their testimony did indeed become their destiny. But you had two that came back, Joshua and Caleb, and what did they say? They said, wait a minute, what God has promised, he's able to perform. Let's go up at once and take the land. Yes, the giants are large, but our God is larger. What God has said, he will do. Listen, faith is acting like something is so when it isn't so, so it'll be so, because God said it's so. They said God said it's so, so it must be so. Let's act like it's so, even though right now it ain't so that's the beginning of victory no I don't feel free there's like giants in my life daily I have this addiction to nicotine I have this addiction to methamphetamine I struggle with depression I come from this family of dysfunction that's all you can see but that is not your ultimate reality what if you start acting like you were free even when you don't feel free because God says you're free therefore one day you're going to be free that's what faith is. That's how you exercise your authority and you begin possessing the promised land personally. Listen very carefully. You appropriated authority over the enemy by the blood of Calvary. You exercise that authority by the word of your testimony. Your mouth confession is how you take possession of God's divine declaration. What do you do? Repent of your sin. Let's start there, repent. What does it mean? Quit rationalizing it. It is time to quit straddling the Jordan. Most Christians straddle the Jordan one foot in the wilderness and one foot in the promised land. Like I want my junk and I want Jesus. I want my sin but I also want my Savior. And today is a day of decision. It is time to cross over, let go of the junk so that you can fully have the joy of Jesus. Repent of the sin. No, pornography is not okay. Infidelity is not okay. Adultery is not okay. Homosexuality is not okay. And I want you understand, addiction of any kind is not okay. Suicide is always of Satan. Start calling it out for what it is drug addiction. You understand the Greek word pharmakia from which we get the word pharmacy is translated as sorcery, witchcraft? Do you understand this generation is the most addicted generation in the history of our nation? This opioid epidemic? Do you understand why drugs are so deadly? Because drugs and demons go hand in hand. You're not just dealing with a chemical addiction. You're dealing with a demon. What do you do? You repent of the sin, quit rationalizing it, and then you renounce Satan's right to rule your life. I was taught in my conservative Christian upbringing, don't even acknowledge the devil. Don't even pay attention to him. If you don't pay attention to him, he won't pay attention to you. Now you know that's not true. Yes, you direct your thoughts toward God, you direct your prayers toward God, but there are moments along the way in my life, guess what? Me and the devil do some talking too. And it usually goes something like this. Satan, you are not going to rule the day. And those moments of depression, oh yeah, I deal with that issue too. Those moments of complete dejection, when it seems like there's no hope and what you see looks like an impossibility and you wanna give in, you wanna pick up that yoke again. Satan, I renounce your right to rule my life. You have no legal dominion over my life. You have to flee, retreat in Jesus' name. You start thinking what is right when you're feeling what is wrong. Right thinking will lead eventually to right feeling. And then what do you do? Repeat, repent, renounce, repeat. See, this is not a destiny. This is a journey. We have been healed, and yet we're being healed. We have been saved, and yet we're being saved. We've been set free, yet we're being set free. And that is why you can be living abundantly and walking obediently one day, and by the next day, you are right back in captivity. You know why? Because you thought it was a one and done. Uh Uh-uh. Repent, renounce, and repeat. Every time you're about to click on pornography again. Jesus, I repent of this sin. Satan, I renounce the right that you think you have to rule my life. I give all rights to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has all rights to my life and his rule in my life is always right. I have the power to walk away. I'm not gonna stay. And you leave the devil sitting there all by himself. And guess what, he ain't going away. He's gonna pursue you, what do you do? Repent, renounce, repeat. Your mouth is for confession, but watch this, your heart is for submission. It says they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they were willing to die instead of choosing to live. And the number one problem we have as human beings, quite frankly, is we love ourselves too much. Self-idolatry, the gratification of self. We live more for self-gratification than God's glorification. And if you wanna bring God glorification, it's gonna demand a crucifixion. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Everybody say the two most important words in Galatians 2.20, but Christ. Say it again, but Christ. Say it one more time. Here's what happens, one time in history, because you were in Christ, you died with him, and because you died with him, you were in him, that means you also rose with him, and because you went through the crucifixion, you also now can live in the power of the resurrection. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. You see, Christ doesn't just live in you, now he wants to live through you, and you're gonna be doing things you never thought you could do, going going places you never thought you could go, saying things you never thought you could say, because it's not you, but rather Christ in you. And all of a sudden you're living the Christ life that is holy, that's truly happy and healthy. Because it's not you, it's Christ now in you that's living through you. To do things you never used to could do. To live victoriously over that spirit of lust that mental idolatry of fantasy, those dark thoughts of suicide and depression, that addiction, yeah, your body is addicted, but guess what, that is not your ultimate reality. You repent, renounce, and repeat daily, and I will promise you, your body's gonna get healthy. Now here's the deal. You died once historically already, Galatians 2.20, now you gotta do it daily. First Corinthians 15.30, the same apostle Paul that said, I've been crucified already, is the same one that said, now I die daily. This is the ultimate victory. They did not love their lives to the death. Yeah, they're gonna give up their life, but in giving up your life, you're choosing to live. And to the degree you have died is the degree you're finally going to be fully alive. To be delivered from sin's penalty, Christ died. To be delivered from sin's power, you die. You die daily. Paul said, I die daily. You know what Jesus said in Luke 9:23? Take up your cross daily. Happened once already in history. Now you've got to repeat it. Daily, The way to overcome sin, Satan, and temptation is not by way of suppression. You cannot suppress your sin. You cannot suppress temptation. Most Christians try to win through suppression, behavior modification, self-reformation, try harder, do better. I really mean it this time, Uh uh-uh. It's not by way of suppression. It's by picking up your cross and embracing the crucifixion, and when you do, Now you get to live in the power of the resurrection. Jesus, I pray for every person in this place today that not one among us, God, would leave this place still dragging that yoke of sin and those chains that have bound us over and over again. As we close out this series, I wanna pray with you. And this is not a place of shame. Jesus is a person of grace. The church is to be a place of grace. And there is no shame in this place. As the redeemed of God, we're all just liberated slaves. If there's an era of your life that you know you've never won consistently, walked in that victory daily, I wanna pray with you right now. And uh, would you just come right now, just slip out of your seat very, very quickly to this altar, this platform right here. And I'm gonna pray God's blessing, I wanna pray God's power and God's grace in the days ahead. Slip out of your seat. Come on, let's do this together. Come on down, it's a short walk from the terrace, come on. Let's embrace the cross. Let's cross the Jordan. Time to make conquest of the promised land. have delivered us. Precious Savior, Son of God, we glorify you today. Jesus, I pray for these men and women, these precious, dear sons and daughters of the living God. And Lord, I pray that they would know today the love of their heavenly Father, that you would immerse them, God, in heaven with your amazing love. Lord, you know everything about us, but you love us so deeply, so intimately. God, you've came to redeem us. Jesus, you didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. And I pray over every person here, God in heaven, and I renounce Satan's right to rule their life. These are the blood-bought children of the living God. They've been bought with the blood of Christ. Right now, just repent of that sin, whatever it is. Just say, Jesus, I repent. I am laying it down at your feet. I'm letting it go. I'm calling it what it is. Say, Satan, I renounce your right to rule my life. I'm taking back the ground that you've stolen. You have no legal dominion over me. You can bring no prosecution against me. I've been declared innocent by the blood of the lamb. In Jesus today I die, I take up my cross. I give up all rights to my life. I give all rights to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, you're ruling my life is always right help me to remember to repeat as needed to repent to renounce and repeat jesus i pray blessing over these your children the daughters and sons of the living god redeemed by the blood of the son of god lord help us to walk this out now to walk victoriously daily as we wage war against the enemy. In Jesus' powerful, precious name we pray and the people of God said, amen. Give Jesus the glory, would you? Praise him, to God be the glory. He is worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration. Hey, tonight at six o'clock, we're gonna put a great big exclamation point at the end of this series. We're gonna praise and worship together. We don't normally do this, but once in a while it's time to just come together as a church family. We're going to pray, and we're going to prepare for a week of prayer and fasting. I invite you to fast over lunch with me and our staff, and uh, we're going to see God's face. We're going to retreat from the tyranny of busy as we prepare our hearts for Easter. God, do a work of God in us as you do that work in others. Love you all so much. Have a blessed day. God bless you.